the measure of success of a good podcast is this engagement and this audience connection. Like I would rather have, rather than like 5,000 downloads, I'd rather have a hundred people that really freaking care and they really listen and they really provide feedback and they help build this thing better than what it was the episode prior. Hey there, welcome to Brands That Podcast. Each week we talk with the people running podcast strategies at successful brands so you can learn how to grow your company through podcasting. Today's guest is Adam McQueen, Content Marketing Manager at Clue. Clue is a competitive enablement platform that lets you collect, curate, and deliver competitive intelligence across every department of your business. They just raised $62 million in Series B financing led by Tiger Global and including Salesforce Ventures. Clue is one of the best case studies of a podcast execution done the right way early in their marketing strategy. Adam was able to get the show off the ground with very little resources and quickly grew it into 25 episodes featuring guests at Airtable and Slack. It's been an incredibly impactful marketing channel for them. And I think this is going to be one of the best episodes for any marketing team who's listening, who's thinking of starting a podcast in a B2B space. In this episode, you're going to hear how Adam and his team chose the concept and the hook of the show, how they measure success and how they think about ROI the leadership's strong belief in podcasting and their willingness to take risks, and how he launched a live community with the podcast, something I was surprised to hear that he did so early on and actually was very successful with it. You'll also learn some of the major lessons he learned and advice that he has for other B2B brands thinking of starting a show. I hope you enjoy it. All right, Adam, thank you so much for joining Brands That Podcast. Really excited to have you on the show today. Jeremiah, it's a pleasure. I'm excited to be here. So I want to get started talking to you about your role as content marketing manager at Clue. Is that right? Yeah. I'm leading the content team and kind of the content strategy over here for our team. Awesome. So you host the Competitive Enablement Podcast. You've got, it looks like over 25 episodes now, and you've been able to secure for a new podcast. This is pretty difficult. You've been able to secure some really amazing guests. Some of them work at Airtable and Slack. My first question is, what was the driving factor behind creating the podcast? Like for you with the whole world of content you have, why a podcast and sort of like why this year? Yeah. So I guess a little bit of context on that front. I take over content at Clue, shoot, maybe that's 18 months ago, maybe two years ago. And I was new to tech. I was specifically new to competitive enablement and the space that we're working in. And I kind of pivoted over from journalism and I'm thinking, shoot, imposter syndrome immediately. Why would someone listen to me about how you should run competitive at your organization? Why does anyone care what I have to say? I actually don't even know. And so I guess the driving factor originally was, I want to get subject matter experts because especially when we're creating a category, we're in this nascent space is like a huge thing is educating the market. And there's so many different topics, angles, things you can talk about around competitive and competing in business. And I needed to start bringing experts on so that, first of all, the quality of our content would be good and the audience could learn stuff. But it was also kind of twofold. It actually helped educate me because ultimately now I'm more confident, although I've never ran compete at an organization, but I have my own point of view perspective. I've talked to a lot of customers. I've talked to a lot of experts now. So it was kind of twofold on that, bringing the subject matter expert in and then also educating myself and allow me to kind of build up my own 
chops in this in this space. That's amazing. Yeah, we're fans of uh, Dave Gerhardt, and he says something we've like latched onto, which is marketing either needs to be the expert or they need to be the guide to the expert. And so it sounds like you're stepping in as the guide to the expert, but along the way, you're gaining more knowledge about your space, which is then going to help you. Like, so follow up question to that. Then, like now, you like leading content twenty five episodes in. How much more do you feel like you've learned? Like you know your audience better, like all that stuff. Oh, 100%. Like it's night and day. I mean, the first couple episodes, I just brought in sort of internal clue experts. I think less friction in terms of just getting them on, a bit more comfort. I just had my list of questions, hand over the mic. And I still, like, I still firmly believe when I have guests to kind of don't take the air from the room, like give it to them. But it's now you have this kind of feeling where, okay, I can probe on that question. Oh, that reminds me of a conversation I had with someone on a podcast before. Oh, that's different from what someone else told me once before. So you just have this sort of like, I don't know, bank of knowledge to start to actually just have more like three-dimensional conversations rather than question, boom, response. Those are my favorite kind of podcasts, right? There are some where you do the interview question, answer, question, answer. But what I love about podcasts and I think what's worked with ours is you start to build sort of a an engagement with your audience when it starts to feel like a natural flowing conversation, right? I think 100%. That's something I was really intentional about when we spun up season two was like, you know, yes, obviously we're handpicking guests that we think are going to be able to share incredible information, but we also have something to say too. Yeah. And it's not to like, whoa, toot the lemon pie horn, but it's just to say like, we want to riff on this with you. Like we have thoughts too. And I'm with you. Like I have always felt when I kind of like reversed diagnose like my own thinking, like what shows do I listen to? It's always the one where, like you say, like, yeah, probably, you know, 60, 70% is the guest, but the host is like equally knowing when to probe or maybe like has a contrary opinion or something like that. And I, I just think it makes it so much more interesting. Yeah. Cause you need to know, especially from a guest perspective, I mean, we could go down so many avenues in this podcast here as we start talking, but you need to know like the guests, some, some of my guests haven't done a podcast before. So you need to know how to facilitate the conversation, how to extract out real examples. And then there's some people that are super confident, very, they've been doing this for years. And so you can, as a guest or as the host, sorry, I'm, I know that I can push back. I know I can be a little bit more, like you said, encounter them a little bit, or just kind of like start to poke it and prod at why they're saying these things or why they believe these things. So yeah, it definitely adds this kind of layer of, authenticity, because I think that's kind of key to building a true audience that comes back. And there's some other things we've done, like from a tactical standpoint, like doing now monthly live shows, things like that, that we can get into. But uh, I think the key element is being a person and being a human and having a conversation. Uh, There is also like guardrails. Sometimes I can go down a rabbit hole. I love to go down rabbit holes, but you do want to, there's like almost like this structure to it but you don't want it to be prescriptive, right? And actually that's something with prepping with, like I think you mentioned there with lemon pie, you like to riff on sort of the ideas. It's cool, like beforehand, I'll send a doc to my guest or whatever, but then I'm like, put your notes in here. Jam, which questions do you like? Which ones don't you like? Where do you want to dive into? And then like the sync call beforehand. So it kind of becomes this like collaborative thing. That's a piece a lot of people miss. Like, as you know, I mean, I found out about your podcast on LinkedIn. You're sharing great stuff on LinkedIn. And 
that's what we connected. And I feel like now me, like when I'm surfing LinkedIn, I'm like, oh, so apparently everyone's starting a podcast in 2022 is like the general sentiment I'm getting. But they don't realize like how much those little things you're doing and iterating on are contributing to the show actually working moving forward. Like so many people are just like, okay, I've got the mic. Here are all my questions answered. But if we're doing a similar thing, like sharing these questions, what do you want to talk about? What's important to you? Is there anything you can't cover? Having like a warm up call so that you can kind of get right to the meat of it. Like these are the things that make it like why your show will win or work for, while like for every like one that does, there's like nine that are just the me too, like lookalike podcasts that get put out there. Yeah. I'll give a call out to my marketing director, Katie. Sort of even before get, deciding we're going to do a podcast, that is sort of an ethos. I think she brought is like, let's go quality over quantity. And one of sort of the staples around how her approach to content when she was a marketing team of one, and then as it expanded to me and now my team is like, okay, let's take inspiration. So podcasts, they're working, but as you mentioned, they can get saturated. So take inspiration from some of the best podcasts you see, but then put your own spin on it. Be human, be what makes people want to listen to you. And then also the guests, the topic, there's a bunch of other things, but I love that idea of, yeah, you canvas what's working, but copycats, no one follows a copycat, right? And like people don't realize YouTube is a little different. Like YouTube, we always compare it because people are like, oh, podcasting's done. It's like podcasting has 2 million channels. YouTube has like, I think 12 million at this point. So it's like podcasting has a long way to go. But I think the reason why it feels saturated is there's like, you're consuming for a longer amount of time and there's less room in your feed. Like I've got three shows I listen to like, and then once in a while, if there's a topic that catches my eye to help me learn or overcome a problem, like with marketing or something, I'll tune into someone else's show. But for the most part, I've kind of got my rotation on lock and it'll take a lot to move me from that. So yeah, if there's like five sales or competition shows and you can't either be a really unique niche that's going to help them solve a specific problem, you better be like one of the best sales shows they've ever heard. A hundred percent. And honestly, to your point too, uh, I think we'll get into this as well. So you mentioned you're only listening to three on the regular, three podcasts on the regular. And when I produce a podcast, I don't expect every single person, even the people that listen, I don't even expect them to listen to the whole episode. If they do, great, sweet, come again, love it. But like, I think that's in parcel of why I did a podcast why I think podcasts are so effective is it's like fuels for other content channels. Like you could take clip it, snips, highlights, takeaways. That fuels all of your other content channels. Is it your newsletter? Is it your social? I mean, this is what we did. This is what I did as a team of one to survive. <laughs> social, quotes, newsletter, clips, blogs, like those things fuel everything else. And so if someone doesn't have 30 minutes, an hour to listen to a conversation, but shoot, they'll listen to that two and a half minute segment when you talked about how you deposition your competitor uh, when it comes to pricing. That bit is relevant to them. And then also that's like kind of the gateway into maybe they want to listen to the full episode next time. So it's sort of this like feedback loop, right? Sorry for saying feedback loop. That's the biggest buzzword ever. I apologize. (laughs) No, I was about to use potentially a bigger (laughs) buzzword. I was about to say content flywheel, which is kind of a word I hate, but it was the only word that was coming to mind. I mean, I could not agree with you more. Like we've literally done episodes, like literally your wording basically summarized like an episode we've done on. And something I was going to ask you almost like how you're thinking about repurposing what you just covered. And That's something we have found is like, I've seen companies do it both ways, but I've seen companies when a podcast is like the fifth thing that they're doing, 
it feels like it's almost harder because there's like this machine that's already like in place. It's harder for them to think about utilizing it in other ways where like the small teams that start with a podcast, then it's like, well, now like I have my content calendar. So it's like a big switch where like bigger teams I've seen, they're kind of like, well, what topic are we talking about in February? Like, okay, let's see what we can pull from the podcast to fit our agenda. But teams like yours are like ours where we're like, we're smaller. We just let the podcast dictate where we go. Like we don't have like themes or anything. We're just like, let's take the best, most insightful bits. We say like, let's not be arrogant enough to assume that all of our audience is going to A, like want to spend an hour. B, is a podcast listener. Let's just take the best bits and serve them up natively and contextually to the places where they're hanging out. And the very minimum, we're giving valuable information and making a more compelling follow on social. At the maximum, over time, the ones that are interested know where to find us. We don't need to like keep being like, come listen, come listen. It's like, you know how to use a search bar in Spotify if you really care. You know what I mean? Totally, man. It's like, hey, I'd love you to follow us. and I'd love you to listen to the whole podcast. But when we think through sort of different people consume content through different ways, right? And so having that podcast fueled these different channels. And then maybe someone just wants to read the takeaways on the newsletter. I've even now I like to repurpose our podcast on our podcast page with like the spark notes. It's like, if you don't want to listen to the whole thing, here's three things you can take away. Exactly. Or just follow like, yeah, it makes for an interesting follow on social. Maybe you'll just consume passively some of the stuff that we produce on our LinkedIn feed. Like that's cool too. I think it just it is fuel for every other channel. I think it comes down to like, I don't want to say like metrics aren't important. Like I think downloads will show you that if a tree falls, does anyone hear it? Like, does it really fall? Like it lets you know, like, okay, people are listening. And if they're going up into the right, even if that's slowly, you know that you're saying something compelling or worthwhile, but that isn't the end all be all of like, if ultimately the end goal is to have them think like in your case, I would think the end goal is that clue is to convey competitively that like Clue is a thought leader and an educator in this space. We're one of the smartest, best brands. And we're going to show that by putting out free education and the best value that we can. So it's like, at the end, why does it really matter whether they consume it for 45 minutes or whether they're getting those insights on LinkedIn because that's where they prefer to be? So that's what I think like people need to detach is like the podcast can still be effective even if they're consuming the value and the education, the brand awareness and stuff on other channels. Oh, a million percent. And it's funny that the metric side of things, uh, like I'll look at downloads, obviously. I'm not going to not look at downloads. And it's like a nice macro view at it just to see, like you said, overall trends. And now I have kind of like this archive of topics and I can see which ones popped. Was it the title? Was it actually the content in there? But I don't get like tied down to like, I like to track download growth. And like, there's some things we've seen that's helped improve traction. But the thing that really from the early days that like the metric that I realized was most important was the qualitative feedback. For sure. First of all, like relationships too. I built some great relationships with some of the first guests and they come back now. Uh, I'm going to have them in on some cool future projects, but it's the qualitative feedback. So not only like questions people are asking me now to get answered on the podcast or before our live session, they're sending me questions they want answered by the expert or myself, but it's also sort of, yo, I like that episode. And getting like six of those, like that episode was great. Or someone posted on social, like, listen to this episode. The first time it happened, I'm like, what? People listen to this thing? Like, this is real? Yeah. And it's crazy. And then like, even, and then from like a business standpoint, because you want to justify this to like the business case for this is like the first, the moment that sales reps are great giving feedback to marketing, which is just like, 
it's keep. And the first couple of times I'm like, yeah, our prospect or buy was like, just like, I don't know, it kind of mentioned, oh, I love listening to the podcast. It's great. And like, okay, so now there's actually like a business imperative to this too, beyond downloads. Okay. I'm really curious about this. This is amazing. So are you using, is this just purely like good salespeople being proactive to tell marketing, Hey, they're talking about the podcast. Are you using, like, there's been a big push to something we do is like have an open field of like, how did you hear about us? And we're actually tracking the qualitative like stuff through like to revenue. Um, or is this like gong is like pulling a search query for the word podcast and letting marketing know, like, how is this feedback being facilitated? I think you're a month ahead of us. It's myself and the demand gen manager. Like we need, and I really would love to like, how did you hear about us field? I think that's great. I want that. It's right now. It's just the awesomeness of our sales reps, giving us feedback, pumping our tires. Okay. Maybe there's a bunch of times the people are telling reps like, yo, it sucked. And they just don't tell me that. <laughs> Hopefully not. It's been mainly their feedback, but that's so funny. You mentioned it, like how you heard about us form and you said it's like a push to do that. It's just like an ability to actually in some way quantify qualitative feedback. So that's on the radar. It's been unreal. I will say like, I know Chris Walker and a lot of those guys like talk about it. It's like, man, it's so funny. Like the stuff that we used to get with just like check boxes or like whatever selection thing. And then like now I had someone literally say, saw your post on LinkedIn, like resonated with it, like checked out your profile and came over here to submit a form. How's that for dark? So like someone took the time to write like that. It was like a paragraph of like feedback. And I was like, this is incredible. So anyway, yeah, definitely do it. it it's worth the work and the effort. Would be excited to see that. Actually, I do have a question about the content, the repurposing. I was really impressed with your resources page. You have like a really beautifully laid out, like there's just, it's an amazing, it's really unique. Like it's not just like for anyone who's listening, if you go to Clue's website, it's not just like articles, videos, whatever. It's like really compelling, like laid out resources. Do you anticipate folding in, like in my mind, what I'm thinking is we talked before the call about the way Clue works and like you're typing a keyword and surfacing cards. Like, do you anticipate taking pieces as like sales enablement or for the sales team or something like that, where, and then like incorporating them into that resources section, it looks like the podcast was broken off different from that. Do you anticipate linking the two or what was the reason behind keeping it separate? It's been separate now, actually working through, uh, I wonder if it gets done end of next week, actually, um, like reworking our navigation bar as well. So like that resources page is cool. We actually have built out a fully fleshed podcast page as well with each episode, a little write up recap and the episode itself. So there is going to be that like integrated within there, like on the resources page with the other kind of bits, we're finding the homes with them. So like I said, we've got plenty of like meaty clips from each episode. Some are from customers. We're going to integrate them onto our customers page and they might not even be talking about Clue product, Clue the product itself, but it might be like, it's a fun way for a customer page, not just make it all about Clue, but like our customers as thought leaders and they come onto our podcast and they talk about interesting ways that they're running competitive enablement at their company or enabling reps. So that's one fun way that I think we're going to start to integrate clips on our website. And then on the resources page, it's a funny one. I originally started like writing blogs on each podcast episode. It wasn't scalable as a team of one, but we do have all of these clips, kind of good quotes and those kind of things that we want to find a way to do it properly, but there isn't a roadmap yet on that. The podcast page has been kind of the starting point, which will be launched and easily accessible as of hopefully end of day today. Oh, that's awesome. Cool. Very cool. I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I mean, we we don't have a system like 
we have our repurposing system, but we don't have a, a system like right now, what we have found really effective, but I think there's probably a better way to do it is like, you know, when we chat with people in the sales process, if they have questions or whatever, we'll just like, hey, look, like there's a really no pressure way to go listen to our answer on this. Like we refer 45 minutes on how you can track the ROI of this or like our thoughts on this or whatever. We'll send them like three episodes. And that's been super helpful for them and for us. But I wish there was like a faster way to be like, click this and it jumps to the three minute segment, you know? That would be cool. And one thing we are doing that's like off website, especially from a sales enablement case, is I'm working with one of our inbound sales team and she's freaking awesome. And she actually made like a notion board where our content lives. So it's searchable for reps and it's been categorized by sort of like you mentioned there, like topics. So if they're looking about like, how do I measure the ROI of my competitive efforts? Well, we did a podcast on that. Reps, AEs can search that. And then with when they search that, they will find the podcast episode. There'll be a couple of clips. And then we're in the process of adding like sort of a spark notes because for reps, they need to kind of have those spark notes kind of fed to them a little bit. But yeah, pretty much just trying to be where the reps live on that side. So that's kind of like internal facing, like people browsing our site couldn't do that. It would be sick if they could. But again, it's one of those things of like, it's a great sales enablement collateral, the little clips within a podcast. Yeah, that's incredible. I'm going to have to explore that as well. Um, that It's just something that I think a lot of companies should consider using their podcasts for. Like, it's not just about the repurposing, you know, the impressions you're going to get on LinkedIn or Twitter or whatever, or like the downloads. There's so much. We've heard people literally say, the reason why I came to you, or like I've heard clients say this, like the reason why they got business was because like, well, we heard the podcast and we love the thought leader. Like we can tell you're good at this or, you know, like it's really, really a compelling uh, sales enablement tool. So it's definitely something I think more brands should consider. 100%. Okay. I want to know, this is something I thought about for this show, but I think this show might be a bit too niche. And so we're considering it for a future potential show. I am really curious about the move to live. That's like, I'm super impressed that you were able to do it so early on. And like, people don't understand, like it's like flooded with content, like to get like live people tuning in and like Q and A, like questions being asked and like actually engaging with the podcast community. That's incredible to me. So what led you to be bullish on the move to live? Like, how did you pull that off? So it was Chris Walker inspiration, obviously, right? He's kind of the OG of doing this state of demand gen. It's a live episode that then gets repurposed into a podcast. And so when I looked at that, I'm like, what? And I think the cool thing about you see someone like his content, you're like, this is like top notch, a bunch of engagement. But if you go to his actual live session, it's pretty bare bones. It's just a Zoom room. You sign up. It's just a Zoom meeting. Like, that part is not as important and that's easy enough to set up, but it's having good content and facilitating discussions. And really, again, it's just like being a human thing. So like reaching out, I'll personally like, I'll make a personalized email, like asking for specific questions, giving a teaser on what the topics are. If I see someone signing up that I kind of had a conversation before, I'll DM them like, hey, what do you think about this? Like get them kind of revved up for this live event in terms of like the takeoff on it. So that was like the inspiration, how to actually do it is I wanted to get some good guests to start and have like a good topic for it to hook people in. And then we'd ran webinars in the past and we had good experts, good guests, but personally as the host, and maybe I'm a sample size of one, I kind of got bored of like, hand it over, 40 minute presentation, 20 minute Q and A. 
Yeah. It works and there are some good sessions, but it's a bit repetitive. And I think that's part and parcel why people don't tune in live to things anymore, as I think webinars kind of... It feels more like a webinar that way. And we even call them webinars. We position it as webinars. Yeah. And they're good. And literally everyone's like, can I get the slides after? I'm not going to be in live. Can you send me to record? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, yeah, it will be recorded. And now our lives are recorded and they sent through his podcast. But it's, I think, the webinar and like the positioning of the webinar and that you're going to sit here for an hour and listen to an expert talk. Like, I'll do that. But also, a lot of the times I won't. <laughs> and especially when you're glued to your screen already, do I want my like time to like consume content just like staring at this and not being able to engage? So I think with that said, I was my favorite parts of podcasts are the conversational part, questions and the measure of success of a good podcast is this engagement and this audience connection. Like I would rather have, rather than like 5,000 downloads, I'd rather have a hundred people that really freaking care and they really listen and they really provide feedback and they help build this thing better than what it was the episode prior. And so that was sort of the premise behind the Live. I mean, we could get into the nuts and bolts of launching it. It was sort of like, we're still working through how to do it best because we have people like sign up through a landing page. And then when they sign that form, I'll send them like personalized emails, kind of prep them in advance. And my favorite thing is I like to set up as just a Zoom room. Mm. So instead of the webinar where there's just the two speakers' faces you can see and everyone else's guest, like as a guest, like hit, hit up the chat, whatever. I don't like that. I want to see people's faces. I feel weird presented to like 300 people and I can't see any of them. I want to just see faces. And that was the coolest bit. So although we spotlight myself and the expert, then when people have guests, my producer in the back, he's like, oh, this person has a good question and they want to come on screen. Boom, pop them up. They jump on screen. And now we're starting to have one-on-one -on -one conversations with people. I'm actually learning what our audience wants to hear about more. Like if there's a common trend, boom, next episode, let's just hit that up. I personally feel like, and we've only done a couple of these so far, but like the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive and people just feel like, they're a part of something more than just listening. So I could go all day on this stuff, but it's, it's, it's been one of my favorite things that we've done so far. I'm blown away by this. And what I think it seems indicative of is like something you said, you'd rather have a hundred like really tuned in people than like a thousand just downloads or like vanity numbers. Like that's a belief I think that you like, especially B2B podcasting necessitates. And it seems like, I was going to ask about this, like you obviously are approaching it with like the completely right mind on this, which I think is making it successful. Like you're doing like, like there's no like ridiculous automation. You're literally like, oh, here's the guest list. I'm going to take time and thoughtfully email everyone who's coming. I'm going to be a real human. I want to look them in the face. I want to ask them what they want to hear. And then like, it's not rocket science. Like they're literally telling you. So you've got this like patient, what is evident to me as like this patient, like believe and like move forward, like in with this system, it sounds like your marketing lead and like your C-level, like do like, they have a good backing of this, like, and how important is that? You know what I mean? I mean, this is my only experience and I'm blessed to have a CEO that comes from a marketing background in Jason Smith. And then our senior director of marketing, Katie, who's kind of been the person that has like completely educated me on the world of marketing. And like I said, the ethos has always been like, create the best content possible. She handed it over to me like, I want you to lead content strategy. I want you to find out what works. I want you to test, screw up. Tell me what you learned from the screw up. 
What could we have done better? That kind of ethos from the top, obviously, it trickles down. It's been a fortunate, like, I mean, I came in at Clue, I think I was like the 40th hire, right before Series A, and now we're, shoot, bordering on 200 people 18 months later. So it's grown at such a rate. But the cool thing is that I think when you have that many people and you're growing at that rate, it's like, nobody knows. Let's test. Let's figure this thing out. Like, don't be rooted in, well... We need to do our biggest competitor. They love to hit SEO ultimate guides and generate their backlinks through that. Like, I mean, we could do that. We could copy that. I've got no experience doing SEO, but I like interviewing people. That was my journalistic background. I think we could make way more intimate content and engaging content doing this. I obviously put together a bit of a business case. I didn't just go, today we're doing a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't that simple. There's definitely like, rationale but it was not like friction it was like justify this test this go we're not going to give you a bunch of money bootstrap it which is cool with podcasts you can do it as a team of one fairly sustainably and then report on the results and from there you can kind of like i learned qualitative feedback might be important than quantitative see what's working in the field but put our own spin so long-winded answer again but yes having that freedom to run it's critical when marketing because and I could get philosophical here. And this is something we talk about is like, especially in the B2B space, stuff can be very samey. Even podcast clips themselves. Now, when I scroll through my LinkedIn feed, there's so many talking head video clips that I was like, shoot, I've just kind of fell into the sameness of these. Like, what can we do even with a clip? Just that little bit. Like, what can we do in that clip to be a little bit different? Thank God we have this hilarious new social media hire that has pop culture references that go over my head that help hook people in. Um, But there's always different ways to kind of iterate and improve. No, I mean, first, an aside on that, it's actually funny because like literally this morning, I was like, the one post that caught my attention amidst the noise was like someone took like an office GIF or GIF, depending on how you pronounce it. And like, layered this stuff over it. And I was like, man, like you do see LinkedIn trending to be a little bit more like culturally relevant that way. But I agree. I think this is a really important takeaway. I think for listeners at orgs that are thinking about starting a show is like, if leadership is going to hold their feet to the fire and treat it like they would like Google AdWords, like if they're going to hold the same expectations out of it, like they would sort of like a paid channel that you have more control over accelerating things, it's not going to work. And I'm curious, like when you say, when you made the business case, what was the one, like you said, they had like a couple of things they were looking for, but obviously they've been extremely like bullish on letting you test it. And it's obviously paid off and they see ROI. What were the things they were kind of looking for to know whether or not it was working? Like, were they happy with your answer of like, what kind of qualitatively know, or they're just like, as long as downloads are going up into the right and people are listening, keep going. I'm trying to, you know, because my memory might not serve me correctly, but I actually also think that Katie spurred me on to doing this. So like I said, I was like, I want subject matter experts in, I want to get the expert opinion. So I'm going to interview them. And I think I actually interviewed her and I interviewed some other people, but I was only interviewing them and then writing a blog. And then Katie messaged me and she's like, and I'm going to humble brag here, but she's like, I think interviewing is like your superpower. Like lean into that. And that's good leadership, identifying where your employees' like skill sets really lie. And she's like, lean into your interviews more, man. Like this interview, no one's seeing this interview, but you've just taken a couple quotes from it. Like that was sort of my journalistic side. I was like, okay, I'll just kind of pull the best quotes, put it into a written form. Didn't think about the other elements. So sorry, they spurred me on to doing that. 
in terms of what they were looking at for measurements, definitely like followers and downloads were like the first things that we would look at and we still look at. But I think it was like, okay, one of these, so as we like, they gave me the rope to really try a bunch of different episodes and it was like, okay, why did this one pop compared to others? They were modest numbers to start, but one did stand out. One got 30 more downloads. Why? And we'd kind of just do like a cross-examination, like a deep dive into why. Was it just the hook? Oftentimes it can be just the hook. Was the guest part of like a big brand name company that people are like, oh shoot, they've got a heavy hitter in here. Was it the way we distributed? I mean, one of our biggest, like where we really started to spike is I remember promoting my uh, podcast with Clara Smith from Slack. Clara, you're coming back on, my favorite. She's the best. But we did an email to our broader inbound list and just kind of like hyped it up a bit and boom, everything spiked from then on out. I was like, yo, why am I not using email to promote our podcast episode? So again, it's like kind of diving into why an episode worked. And sometimes it can feel pretty like, okay, I don't know. It's just a couple more downloads. Does it really mean anything? But taking that time to try and identify and ask all the questions, it's what will lead to growth in the future. So again, I wouldn't say that there was like a clear and hard metric, but having the faith that like I'm looking for the producing valuable content, they're consuming the content too. And they're like, yes, okay, we think this is good, that this could go somewhere. Seeing that it is slowly trending in the right direction. And then the qualitative feedback sprinkled in from reps and whatnot kind of gave me the green light to keep working, but it was like pushing the buttons on how do you level this thing up? Okay, you've done a lot of nuts and bolts on how to run competitive programs that you think that's getting a little redundant maybe a little bit so why don't we talk about competitive strategy why don't we talk about more real life examples i mean before i got on this podcast with you now we've started this thing called the versus series where we do a monthly breakdown of like some of the biggest battles playing out in real life so how did apple kill blackberry super fun i love that we're going with that how did tesla dominate the ev market and who are the competitors that are about to come and potentially eat their market share we keep iterating on like, what will make this better? Okay, what can we test here again? Is this going to get traction? And by no means is it a finished product, but it's going in the right direction. And there's been a ton of lessons learned on the way. Yeah, I feel like I was going to ask this as a question, but I feel like I'm going to say it in the way I want to say it for listeners. is like the three big lessons I'm taking or three lessons I'm taking away from you for brands that want to... Because in a lot of ways, like to be honest, I really feel like you are the success case and a good one to point to of what a lot of these companies on LinkedIn are trying to do. Like they're trying to make a show for a fairly like specific ICP and they want it to be successful. They know it won't be like millions of downloads, but they want it to be successful. I feel like you are an amazing use case for this, but you're doing three things that I know from working with these brands, like they're not all doing, which is one, you're approaching it like a journalist. So you're probably putting a good bit of time prepping. You're thinking about intelligent questions. I've read your LinkedIn posts that you are not just answer, asking yes, no questions. So you approach this like a journalist, which means you're going to get a better interview anyway. The next thing is you have support from your management team and you've got belief from the C-level down that you feel like it's okay to take creative risks and to fail and to try and pump out a live thing and maybe nobody shows and that that's okay. You're not going to like lose your job over it. And number three, you're iterating continually and listening to user feedback to make the show better in an ongoing way. And I think those are three things that like more companies would have success with their podcast if they did that. But a lot of them are like, well, podcasting is the thing now, right? Let's launch when everyone's launching one or competitors have one and they kind of put it out, but they don't do those three things. And it's like, 
why is there only 50 downloads a month? It's like, well, that's why. Like, That's such a losing approach, right? And it's not just for podcasts. It's, oh, this is the thing that people are doing. Let's do it. And you're just ticking a box, but you're not putting the time and effort to think about how that actually, because realistically, podcast is just like a vessel to share contact, to share your perspective and to educate the market. It's just a vessel. People could get it through social. They could get it anyway. But sometimes I see an approach like, oh, this is the hot new thing. Let's tick a box and also do it ourselves. But that's not the thing that wins. It's the thing within the podcast. It's the interview. It's the content. It's the human connection that actually causes it to be a success or a failure. And actually, can I give you one real quick example about the, because I realize I haven't given real examples. Yeah, yeah, please. Creative risks. I just remember this now as the first live event. I was like, yeah, I want to do a live event, get some engagement. And it was such a flop because I don't know. Now I look back on that. Why did I even think that was a good idea? It was like, I wanted to make it a private event and only invite people that were like customers and like, not even customers, it was just like people who are actively evaluating Clue or a product. I'm like, let's just get the people pipeline. It could be cool, like a deal closer kind of thing. It flopped, dude. It was so bad. The speaker was great, actually. Mark was awesome. But the attendance was low. Engagement was low. And then immediately it was like, what? we're trying to do too much. This isn't a deal closer. This is open the floor. I wanted like an intimate setting, but I was like, you can still be intimate and generate engagement, but open the floor for people, man. Like, I don't know why I pr- made that a private thing for active pipeline only. It was a huge growth. But again, my management, I came to the table. I was like, yeah, these are the three clear as day reasons why this screwed up. Here's what we'll do in the next one. And with that, management's like, yep, that was bad. The next thing will be better. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I mean, man, it's just so important to have that support and uh, and to try things. Like, It's not a bad idea to take people that are at a certain stage and give them like compelling more information, but just maybe not the right time, maybe not the right priority. Don't do it as your first ever one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Okay. I want to be respectful of your time. You've been gracious. We're a little over. I'll wrap up with this question. We've talked a couple of times now. A lot of brands are looking at starting, getting into podcasting. I think you all are an amazing use case. What advice would you have for either the marketing leader who's managing the content team or the content person like you who's going to be responsible for leading this charge? We've talked about a lot of stuff. What would be like top of mind advice that you would give? The advice I would give, I think, and I don't want to get too cliche, but the value is in the quality of the content first and foremost. So whether that is, so identify who your audience is, identify the problems they're facing or the questions that they have, and then go out there and try and answer them. And you don't have to answer them yourself if you don't feel comfortable being able to do that. Bring experts on. Maybe there's even internal experts. Maybe, I don't know, if you're selling in the cybersecurity space, you have a CISO come on as a subject matter experts and you interview them. Like bring in experts and answer the questions that people in your audience that you've identified have. I think that would be probably my number one piece because even if it doesn't go viral or whatever, like you've talked about, sometimes it can be very niche, your audience. You're still providing value and you're still helping because at the end of the day, this is business too. And you're helping educate people that may or may not become buyers. And worst case, they get better at their job and they get better at the space you're working in. Best case, shoot, they come along and they want to learn more. They become a potential customer. So I think that that is where I would start from the content creation standpoint. Marketing leader, I mean, I've never been 
a marketing leader. I mean, I lead a team now, but to give the sign off, I would say, again, let them fail, let them screw up, but also don't blindly green light. Like there needs to be a vision of what this is. What is our story we're going to tell? What are the topics? What is the vision for this podcast? Like there needs to be a business case presented because otherwise you're just going to be another podcast that no one listens to. I love that. Amazing advice. Adam, thank you so much. Where can people learn more about Clue and where can people find your podcast? Yeah, you can learn more about Clue. Well, there's our website, clue.com, but we're pretty active on social. So I would go follow us on LinkedIn. Clue, it's with a K. So K-L-U. And then myself, again, LinkedIn, Adam McQueen. It's easier for me to just communicate that way. But if you want to shoot me an email, adam.mcqueen at clue.com. But yeah, just shoot me a DM in LinkedIn. Always keen to chat. Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for checking out this episode. If there's a company you'd like us to interview or a question you want us to answer on the show, just let us know. You can ask us at brandsthatpodcast.com or DM or tag Lemon Pie on Twitter, LinkedIn, or Instagram. And if you want to reach your audience on podcasts that they're already listening to, be sure to check out lemonpie.fm. Lemon Pie.